chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. I'll be reading verse 3. And being in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, he sat down at the table. A woman, woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. And then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. May the Lord add his blessing as he continued to worship this morning through the pastor's word. In Jesus' name. And so we come this morning in the Gospel of Mark, as we're looking upon Jesus. We come to chapter 14. It says in verse 1, After two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. In other words, this was two days before the crucifixion of Jesus, which happened at Passover time. Imagine this, the setting here, and what's in Jesus' mind. Now, the disciples still don't understand it all. And they don't know what to expect. But Jesus knows what's going on. And here it is, this, uh, this feast that's given. Verse 2, well, going on in verse 1, it says, And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. So what were the religious leaders afraid of? The people. That's right. The religious leaders were afraid of the people. They, they didn't want to deal with any upset among them. And so they were trying to put off this plan they had. But what was their plan? Well, the plan was they were planning to murder a savior while Jesus was planning to honor a sinner. They were planning to murder a Savior, while Jesus was planning to, to honor a sinner. So we go into verse 3. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. Well, let me read it in the New Living Translation. The wording is slightly different and makes for a better flow, better understanding. It says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he, while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. What would a year's wages be today? Oh, about twenty dollars to $30,000 for a uh, common laborer, more than that for many people here in New Hampshire. Could perfume actually cost... $25,000 for a bottle? Oh, yes. And she had this. And she was pouring it all out when a few drops could have done it. And they scolded her harshly. Verse 6. But Jesus replied, Leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Now that's quite a statement, isn't it? He didn't say... Wherever the gospel is preached, the story of Abraham will be told. 
He didn't say wherever the gospel is preached, the story of Peter will be told. Or David. Or even John the Beloved. But he said wherever the gospel is preached, what this woman has done will be remembered and discussed. It will be told. Why? Why tell her story? Well, we don't have time to look at many verses here. But over in the Gospel of Luke, when it tells the story in chapter 7, in verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. That's why he wanted her story to be told all over the world. Because her experience revealed a faith that was purer and better and greater and stronger than anyone else. Hers was the best expression of true faith. Now, did she move a mountain? Jesus said if you have a little bit of faith, you can move a mountain. But did she move a mountain? Well, no. Uh, did she raise somebody from the dead? No. Did she heal somebody who was sick? No. Did she cast out a demon? No. Well, then, what great thing did she do? She believed and she appreciated. Those are the things she did. She believed and she appreciated with all her heart. That's what made her story something that needed to be told everywhere. Now there in Luke it also tells us, and you can take notes here if you want to look up these verses, but in Luke 7, verses 39 to 48, it tells us about Simon, the Simon who had had leprosy. And it tells us that Simon couldn't see what Jesus could see in the woman. He just looked upon Mary and saw her as a terrible sinner. But Jesus saw more. And Jesus had a story ready for Simon. We'll get to that in a little bit. In John, the Gospel of John, we find the story in chapter 12. And in the first three verses, we find out that the woman was indeed Mary, who was the sister of Martha and Lazarus. So now we know her name. Some say, well, this was a different story. Well, no, because Jesus said, wherever the Gospel is told, the story of what this woman has done will be told. And in the Gospel of John, the only woman who pours out perfume on Jesus is Mary the sister of Martha and Lazarus. So it has to be the same one, doesn't it? Now we find out something else. The people who were criticizing her, do you know who started that whole criticizing? Judas. It says Judas because he carried the money bag and he was stealing money into his own pocket. And he loved to get his hands on a whole year's wages. And then back to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 8, it says that Mary was called Magdalene. In other words, she was from Magdala. Well, how could she be from Bethany and Magdala? Well, we'll find out about that. But it also says that Jesus cast out seven demons from her. And we'll tie that into the story as well. And then in the Gospel of John, going back there in chapter 8, it tells about not particularly this particular woman, Mary. It just says there was someone else who was a sinner in the same situation, a similar situation as Mary, who was thrown at Jesus' feet, and it tells how Jesus treated fallen women like Mary. And how did he treat this woman? He said, neither do I, what? Condemn you, but go and sin no more. In other words, get a whole new life now where sin's not part of it. So Jesus didn't condemn. Instead, he gave hope. He gave life. Now, in Luke chapter 10, there's a story also about uh, Mary. She was back in Bethany now with her brother and sister. And Jesus came to their house. And does anybody remember what Mary was doing with Jesus in the house? Sitting at his feet. Doing what sitting at his feet? Was she polishing his shoes? Was she washing his feet? What was she doing? 
She is listening to every word. And when Martha complained that she needed help in the kitchen, would Jesus take away what Mary was getting there? He wouldn't take that away. He said, Martha, no. That won't be taken away from her. And in a sense, he was inviting Martha to leave the kitchen and come and join Mary. And there's evidence that Martha learned that lesson later on. So here we find all four Gospels. I didn't refer to Matthew because Matthew and... uh, Let's see, did we have anything from Matthew? I don't think so. Matthew and Mark are almost exactly the same. So all four Gospels have this story. Now let's put it all together... We have the pieces. We know who it was. We know some of the, the bones of it. But let's flesh it out. In this story of the Bible, we find that there were three siblings growing up together in the little town of Bethany that wasn't far from Jerusalem. Sort of like the distance between Belmont and Laconia. And apparently they must have had very godly, dedicated parents. Because all three of these children had spiritual inclinations, as we see in the story. It seems that Lazarus was probably the oldest. He's kind of a leader. Martha, the older of the two sisters, it seems that she probably wasn't the person that is that others would be struck with her beauty, as far as outward beauty. But she had a knack for doing things around the house and wanting to serve probably an excellent cook. And so she was the kind of person that you love to have at a party, not so much being the life of the party, but being the ba- in the background of the party, getting all the things together and making it beautiful, making it delicious, making it good for everybody else. That was Martha. Mary, the youngest, it seems like she was probably... Very attractive outwardly. And probably more of a people person than Martha. Martha was a doer. And Mary was one who uh, liked to interact with people. And so as Mary was growing up and getting older and developing into a young woman, she was the kind that would get the attention of the gentleman. Not that she was after that at all because she was apparently just a very dedicated young lady wanting to know the Lord and active in the synagogue. But there at the synagogue, there was an older gentleman. We don't know how much older. But he was a leader, you see. So he had to be a little bit older. He was a leader in the synagogue. His name was Simon. And Simon began to have lustful thoughts toward Mary. And then Simon one day saw an opportunity and we don't know how or just it happened, but somehow Simon took advantage of this young lady and stole her virginity from her and told her not to tell anyone because no one would believe her part of the story over him and he would deny it. And so... She went home feeling terrible. Feeling dirty and filthy and spoiled and ruined. And with no one to talk to. She couldn't tell her parents because Simon was the leader. She couldn't tell her sister because her sister might tell the parents or her brother. And so she went and she probably tried to wash it away and just couldn't scrub hard enough to get rid of this feeling of filth and guilt and ruin. And so she was in quite a distressing situation. She couldn't go to the synagogue anymore. Simon was there. Besides, you couldn't go to the synagogue if you you had had such an experience. You know that even to this day that when a woman over in the Far East is in the Middle East is taken advantage of, sometimes they even have what do they call honor killings? A horrible thing, but but something that happens. And so she couldn't go to her parents, and she couldn't go to her siblings. She couldn't go to church, and she could never 
She could never hope to be married because they check to see if you're still a virgin and if you're not, you can't be married. So the little cottage with the white picket fence, so to speak, all that dream was gone. He had robbed more than just her virginity. He robbed her of her whole life and her eternal life because it was thought that in those days that if you were soiled in this way by a man, that you as a woman could never hope to go to heaven. You were ruined for eternity. God didn't want to see your face. So this story of Mary that we're gathering from the four Gospels is very vivid as to how much pain and suffering Mary had to undergo. All because Simon's selfishness and cruelty. Well, you know, it happens even today that when a young woman is taken advantage of in the hometown by somebody that she can't go up against, what does she do? She runs away. And so Mary ran away from Bethany to the the town of Magdala to get away from everything and everybody who knew anything about her story. She wanted to start anew up there, and she probably had a little money saved up, and she brought it there. But you know, a little bit of money doesn't last very long. And there were no jobs for young ladies, especially for somebody who's not known by anybody in the town. And so her now she's hungry, and she has no place to stay. And like in many cities today in America, there are those who will be like vultures on the young ladies who come into town. And she was taken into prostitution. And she had to, she, she saw no other way to survive. Besides, she was, she was nothing anymore. She was nothing to anybody She couldn't be anything to her family. She was certainly nothing to the synagogue anymore. Nothing to God who demands holiness. And she was nothing in the community. All the ladies would look upon her with suspicion even before she got into prostitution. What's that young woman doing around here? And the gentlemen would only look with either lust or disgust Nobody had wanted her. There was no friend. There was no helper. There was no support. And even God, for her, for her, she saw that he looked upon her as an outcast. And so there was no hope of anything good in her life anymore. And so to survive, she went along with the prostitution. And with the prostitution comes all kinds of slavery in mind and body. And she had nothing and she was going nowhere until she heard one day of a new rabbi who was traveling around the countryside going from place to place with a message of hope that was different than any other rabbi had presented. He was talking about the love of God and offering forgiveness even to sinners, even sinners like her. And she could hardly believe her her ears that there could be a rabbi who could deal with people like her that way. And so when Jesus came to Magdala, she could not stay away. I imagine she had to hide behind some bushes while the crowds gathered around the Savior and listened to the words of this young rabbi. But she couldn't be seen because if they saw her, they would drive her away. They didn't want the likes of her anywhere near anybody else, the rest of the town. And I imagine her peeking around the bushes and being close enough to hear those words of hope, those words of love, those words of a new life. And she dared to wonder, could he be talking about somebody like me? 
And she waited and she waited until his talk was over and the people were gathered around asking questions and bringing people to be healed. And she waited and she waited until they started to disperse. And I imagine that she came up when almost everybody else was gone and she came to Jesus and she threw herself at His feet and she wept. And she told the story of her life and how her life had been crushed, and how she was so ashamed of what she had allowed herself to get into. And Jesus, being the wonderful Savior that He is, He said, I do not condemn you. I do not condemn you for this. And your Heavenly Father, He doesn't condemn you He understands. We know what kind of a horrible thing you went through. And it wasn't your fault that you were led into this. And any of your sin can be forgiven. It can be wiped away. It can be washed. And you can be cleansed. And all of it can be thrown into the depths of the sea. And you can have a new life. Let me pray for you, Mary. Would you let me pray for you? And she said, yes, please, please. Can you imagine how we prayed? How we prayed for the Father's blessing to be upon her, for her heart to be open to the love and the forgiveness that comes from the throne of grace. And how we prayed that she would have a new life, dwelling in the Father's love day by day. Walking in newness of spirit. Having the joy that comes from walking with God rather than man. And he prayed for the angels of heaven to be around her and to deliver her from the power of Satan. That that power be broken now in her life. That she be completely delivered. And have now hope and joy in place of slavery and despair. Can you hear him praying that way? And oh, now her tears were not tears of sorrow and guilt. They were tears of joy. That she had been forgiven. That she had been received and loved. And she thanked him and thanked him. But Jesus had to leave. And he went on to another town and so some more people with their needs. And Mary went and with joy and thinking, now I can have a new life. But as she walked back home, she met the same stares from the men who only wanted to acknowledge her in the secrecy of night. And she saw the the same hate-filled expressions from the women in town. And she realized that there were still no jobs available. No place to live. No friends. No support other than her prostitute friends. And she could not find a way to start that new life and fell back into the old life of sin. But Jesus came on his circuit around again and came to Magdala again. Oh, she felt horrible. How could she face him? She couldn't. How could she explain how hard it was to to try to go on and sin no more? And and yet there was no way. And, And she felt so ashamed. Worse than before. But she could not stay away. She had to be as close to Jesus to hear those words again. And she came and stood behind the bush and she listened and she wondered 
because Jesus kept talking of love and forgiveness, forgiving 70 times 7. And hope filled, could He forgive me again? And she waited till everyone else had left and she went and she threw herself down and she wept again. So filled with shame. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you. May I pray for you? And Jesus prayed for the bind, the, 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 uh, the chains of Satan to be broken. For her to be delivered from the demons in her life the demons of her life of sin, but also the demons of Simon and his, what he had done. The demons of loneliness and hopelessness. And by the time he was done, she felt free and new. But he had to go on. And he wasn't there to be a support to her. He wasn't there to keep praying for her every day. He wasn't there to... Remind her of forgiveness and love. And there was no one. And there was nowhere to go. Oh, she seethed within her hatred towards Simon that he had robbed her of everything so much that she couldn't go home. She couldn't do anything but stay there and face the hopelessness. But Jesus came a third time. Received her again. A fourth time. A fifth time. A sixth time. A seventh time. He delivered her again. But this time apparently was a little different. Because not only had Jesus prayed those beautiful prayers of deliverance and love and forgiveness and hope. But she heard something like she had never heard it before in his prayers, in his explanations. He, she heard that when Jesus is gone, the Father is still here. And that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And so she can have the support that Jesus portrayed. She can have the love and the forgiveness and the hope and the strength that she found in Jesus. She could have every day. And she realized that God's love could be in her and then through her and she could forgive others, even Simon. And she could go home. And she went back to Bethany. She would not stay in the place where she was going to go back into the same rut again. She would break free by the power of the love of the Father. And joy of all joys when she got back to Bethany and she knocked on the door and Martha and Lazarus were there. They received her with love as well. And the, the joy, the greatest joy, she, they said, We're, we are followers of Jesus too. And they hugged and they wept and they hugged and they wept with joy, joy, joy. And they shared what Jesus had done for each of the three of them. And when Jesus came to Bethany, they made sure he had an invitation to their house and he loved going to their house because he knew there was nobody there who was going to accuse him or try to trap him in some words of some kind of fancy question. But every question would come from a sincere desire to know more of his love and his grace. And he loved to pour it out to them. And when he was there, Mary sat right at his feet, didn't she? She couldn't get close enough. She had to be right there. And she listened to every word. In fact, she listened better than the twelve disciples. Do we know? 
Well, the disciples before the cross never believed that Jesus would allow himself to die. They couldn't understand when he talked about it, but they just wouldn't accept it. But Mary heard. And she accepted that if Jesus said he was going to die, he was going to die. And she started thinking about it after Jesus left the home. Apparently, she was thinking, well, if Jesus is going to die, that means we're going to have to have a burial for him. And he has no money to do a proper burial. He has no tomb. He has no funds for proper arrangements and ointments and everything that's needed. So he he's likely to be buried in the common grave with all the poor people, the homeless people who nobody cares anything about. And everybody will think he's a nobody. And he's not a nobody. He's everything to me. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Savior of of all others. Oh, people need to know who Jesus is. Now, in those days, you didn't hire a limousine to impress everybody. In those days, you bought a special ointment. A fragrant ointment. Now you could buy cheap ointment that you would have that maybe the, you know, just a wealthy landowner would have. Some ointment like that. Or if he was the mayor of the town, then you'd get something more expensive that would cost maybe, you know, a month's wages. If he was the governor, then maybe something that cost uh, six months' wages. But if he's the king, there was one perfume for a king that cost a year's wages. And she had been saving and saving and saving over the years. And she had the full amount needed. It would use up everything she had. All of her savings. But she said, oh, Jesus is worth it. And when that perfume is put on him, and everybody will smell it, and they will recognize this is a king's perfume. And they'll say, Jesus was a king? And Mary will say, yes, he was the greatest king ever. And so she went and she took her whole life savings and she went to the apothecary shop and she bought that most richest perfume and she put it home. And I don't think she even told Mary, I mean Martha or Lazarus. And she put it away in the closet, hidden in her things, waiting for the day of his burial. Now, We've been talking about Mary. Meanwhile, we need to look at Simon. You see, people have consciences. Even a man as despicable as Simon, who could do what he did to Mary, everyone has a conscience. And that dastardly sin was eating its way on the inside of Simon. And his immune system broke down and he caught leprosy. Now leprosy meant that he had to leave his family without being able to hug or kiss his wife or his children. He had to leave home for good. He could not continue whatever job he had. He could not continue as a leader in the synagogue. He couldn't even go to the synagogue. He was now considered an outcast of the outcasts. The only way he could get any food or nourishment was that his wife could bring it to the place where the, all the lepers had to stay and leave it on a stump or something someplace that she couldn't get near him. And then he would have to battle the other lepers for the food. And so he was totally out of everything. Out of his family, out of his work, out of his position. In fact, all of his Pharisee friends considered him as cursed by God. Because leprosy was looked upon as the worst curse you could get because you must have done something really terrible. And so he was without hope of anything on earth or any place in heaven. He was nothing going nowhere with no hope until he heard about a healer 
who was traveling from place to place, healing people who were sick, uh, uh, giving them uh, the ability to walk if they were lame, giving them uh, eyesight if they were blind, and hearing if they were deaf, and even lepers were being cleansed. Something not done since the days of Elijah, 800 years before. And he dared to hope, could this healer, would this healer help him? And when he heard Jesus was coming by, he went to Jesus. And he knelt down and he said, Oh, Master, please cleanse me. Make me whole. And Jesus, knowing everything about Simon, healed him anyway. Restored him completely. He went back to his home. He hugged his wife and his kids. He went to the temple and to the synagogue. He was restored to his position. His friends gathered around and said, what a wonderful thing this is. And out of gratitude to Jesus, he just had to do something. He had to do something. He was tempted to just kneel down and proclaim Jesus Messiah. But his friends wouldn't appreciate that so much. He wasn't ready for that. But there's got to be something. And so he threw a feast in the honor of Jesus at his house. And he invited his friends so they could come and see Jesus in person right up close. And maybe maybe they would become believers in Jesus just that way rather than him having to put himself on the line. And so he started making the arrangements and he put out the word, come to my house. And he invited Lazarus. Lazarus had just been raised from the dead and oh, he was like a celebrity. So we'll have him as, a, as a, one of the guests of honor and of course Jesus and the disciples. And then we've got to have somebody to cater this meal. Who do you suppose he thought of then? Martha. And so Martha was invited to do the catering. And he didn't even think about Mary. Mary was in town and he probably had heard about that. But Mary can't come to a feast like this. That's out of the question. And so the night came. The feast started. And Martha was there fixing everything and Lazarus was there with Jesus and the disciples and Mary was at home. What do you suppose Mary was thinking about being at home alone? Of course, she likes parties. She's a people person. But more than that, she's a Jesus person. And I think she was sitting at home thinking, I wish I were there to sit where? At his feet. Oh, I would just love to hear what he's saying now. I wonder what he's teaching the people. Is he talking about forgiveness? Is he sharing the Father's love? Is he talking to some person who feels so guilty and burdened but giving them hope? Talking about the new life. Is he talking about how he's going to have to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die? Oh, I remember that. That was hard. But I'm so glad I've got... I've got. And she went probably in the closet just to check. Yes, it's still there. I've got the alabaster jar still full of that fragrant perfume. The king's perfume. I'm ready... I'm ready for the day when Jesus does die. It's ready. And everyone will know that he's the king. All the disciples will know. And the Pharisees will know. And Solomon will know. And Martha and Lazarus will know. They all know Jesus. Wait a minute. Jesus won't know. He'll be dead. Jesus won't get to smell this perfume that I've spent everything for and that he deserves so richly and he won't smell it. He 
won't have the chance to know how much He is to me. That's more important than than the others and all the others. I've got to have Jesus know. I wonder when He's going to die. It's only a few days before the Passover. Could it be then? Then I can't wait. Even if there's any chance of it happening then, I can't wait. I've got to do something now. How? And she thought about how in the banqueting room at Simon's house, the people would be all laying down with the food at the center. You see, they didn't have chairs. They had carpets on the floor and they would lay down and they would reach for the food and so on and talk in the center. And that's where the lighting, the candles would be. But out in the and the walls of the room would be dark corners. And she thought, I can go back through the back alley and sneak into the back, the servant's entrance to, the, to, the, to Simon's house. Martha will be there, but she'll probably be too busy. And if I watch for the right opportunity, I can sneak by her without her stopping me. And I can get around and get around the edges of the room and come over to where Jesus' feet are. And I can anoint his feet tonight. And Jesus will smell the perfume and he'll know how much he means to me. And so she gathered up the jar and she made her way down through the streets and she watched at the entrance. She saw Martha, but she waited. And then she went in carefully and quietly and went into the room and it was dark, but she could see where Jesus was. And so she went around through the, being very careful not to disturb anyone and she had her oil and she went over and knelt at his feet. And she opened the jar and she began to pour it on his feet. And she thought, Jesus, this is for you. This is, was meant for your burial. I want you to know how much you mean to me. And as she thought of Jesus dying, the tears began to come and they fell and mingled with the perfume. And then something, oh, she forgot. She forgot to bring a towel to deal with the perfume and everything. And so she let out her long hair and she took her hair and began to sop up the extra oil with her hair. And the other thing she forgot, now it hit her because people started whispering. She forgot not only would Jesus smell the perfume, everyone would smell the perfume. She never thought of that. And so Judas, he was the first one. With his greed and selfishness, he spoke up and he said, oh, this should not have been wasted like this. This is terrible what she's doing. And everybody started to chime in. The disciples too, they said, oh yes, that's not needed to pour all that. And they started to be nasty to her. And Jesus stopped them. He was not only her deliverer, he was her protector. And he said, stop that right now. What she's doing is not a nasty thing. It's not a wasteful thing. What she's doing is is a beautiful thing. You'll have poor people with you all the time and you can take care of them whenever you want. But I'm not going to be around that long. She's the only one who realizes this. So much so that she had this ointment for my burial. And that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. She had to do something even more beautiful and anoint me when I could smell it. Some think that that oil was so strong, that perfume so strong, that you couldn't wash it off easily. And that Jesus could smell it through the Lord's Supper. And He could smell it on the cross. And it was evidence that his sacrifice would be worth it because Mary believed in him.
Now Simon was there, of course. And he looked over and he saw what Mary was doing. Now in those days, a woman doesn't touch a man. Even a sister can't touch a brother out in public. And so here's Mary, the prostitute, touching the feet of Jesus. And Simon, knowing so well her story, because he had gotten reports from Magdala about what Mary was into, as probably most of the town had. And Simon saying, Oh, my God, I didn't come out to the other Pharisees saying that this is the Messiah. Because if he were even a prophet, just a regular prophet, he would have known what she was into and he would not let her touch him. And then Jesus said, Simon, I've got something to say to you. (gasps) You see, the stories about Jesus healing also included the stories about Jesus knowing people's secret lives. And it hit Simon like a ton of bricks. He probably started sweating more than anybody had ever sweat before. But what could he do? Jesus had his secrets. Jesus could take and tell the whole thing with his family right there. With all the Pharisees right there. He could tell exactly what Simon had done to this woman Mary. But what could he do? So he simply said, Lord, say whatever you have to say. But Jesus didn't expose him. Instead, Jesus told a story that saved his dignity, so shall we say. He said, Simon, there were two people who owed money to the moneylender. One owed 500 coins and the other one owed only 50 coins. When the money lender forgives them both, which one loves him more, the one who owed more or the one who owed less? I imagine Simon hesitated, thinking, is this a trick question? But he said what was plain. Lord, I suppose the one who owed more would love more. Jesus said, Simon, you're right. And this woman She's showing me so much love here tonight because she's been forgiven so very much. But the one who has come with only a few sins to me for forgiveness loves a little. And the implication to Simon was, Simon, you won't bring your sins to me. You won't come to receive forgiveness because you won't even admit that you have done it. If you'll just admit it, if you'll just trust me, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to hold you up to ridicule before everybody. That's not my way. For my way is the way of grace and the way of love. And Simon, neither do I forgive, neither do I condemn you You can have a new life. You don't have to be stuck in all that stuff. And Simon realized that Jesus had just been so very gracious to him. I believe that Simon probably responded to that grace. Yielded to that love accepted that forgiveness and became a believer. I'm looking forward to seeing Simon in heaven, a new man, a new creature in Christ. So Simon told a story that hid his sin but reached his heart. Well, we've seen these important people in the story. We've seen Mary with her faith. Why was it so great that it has to be told everywhere? Because her faith was a heartfelt appreciation 
for all that Jesus is and for all that He does. And so because of His all, she gave her all. Out of that heart appreciation. Now Simon. Simon found that he could bring all of his sin and fault to Jesus because Jesus can be trusted with it all. Those are important things, aren't they? In fact, Mary and Simon had a lot in common. They both came from Bethany. They both were believers. They both had faults and failures. They both were delivered by the grace of God and the love of Jesus. And they both found new life in Him. While these two are important, there's one other person that we must not forget. And that's Jesus Himself. Jesus is our everything. He is our hope. He is our deliverance. He is our forgiveness. He is our protector. He is our new life. He is our joy. Let us pray. Oh, wonderful Father, what a mighty Savior You have given us. Mighty in authority. Mighty in humility. And mighty to save. Father, we identify with Mary. We've often felt guilty and even hopeless. So faulty so weak to walk a right way. But then, to learn from Jesus that there is a way of salvation where the strength is in You, where the deliverance is in You, and that even when Jesus isn't in town, so to speak, we have You, our Father and the Holy Spirit as our support team. As the one who can be make us more than conquerors. While the early ways are the ways of life, new life, the ways of hope, the ways of cleansing, the ways of joy. To you be the glory now and forever. Amen. Let's take our hymnals and we turn for our closing hymn to number 330. Take my life and let it be. Number 330.